Hey, this is Sylvain, and you are listening to the Broodily Delicious Podcast. So I was prepping and reading the bio this morning, and I noticed you're from Norway, but you've moved to France. What's the metal scene like in France? Yeah, so actually I live like halfway in Norway and halfway in France. In the last few years after COVID happened, I've been more in Norway actually to be close to my family with all this pandemic thing. Was happening. Mm-hmm. But So the metal scene in France is, there's a lot of great stuff happening in the underground scene in France. Um, but I think the, the main issue that, that is still quite prevalent in France is the fact that metal is kind of looked down upon right. a little bit. So it's hard for the, I think it's hard for the metal scene to be flourishing and, and just, yeah, I don't know. It, it's not easy being a metal band in France because it's really not a, a genre that's very appreciated there. Right. I think it's changing a little bit with bands like Gojira that is oh, kind sure. of into the but, but yeah, it's it's not an easy genre in France for sure. It's a little bit better here in Norway when we kind of have the black metal tradition and everything. So that was my next, yeah, that's my next question. I mean, I don't know, as an outsider, it seems like Norway's got something in the water that is creating all this great metal. And you don't see that except maybe Finland, I think might be the other country that does it. But those two export probably, you know, like 75% of the great metal bands. For sure, yeah. There's been, I mean, ever since like the 90s over here, even in the late 80s, actually both in Norway and Sweden, like with the death metal scene and the black metal scene, it's been a huge thing here. And it still is, like it's still one of our main exports of music. So for sure, I don't know exactly what it is, but I think it's, at least for the black metal scene, I really think it's connected to the nature we have here and then the landscapes and everything. Obviously, I know that the original wave of the black metal was also kind of like an anti-Christian thing. Right. Because Norway has always been a very much of a Christian country. Even now, it's only a few years since we separated state and church. And in a, in a city like Oslo, obviously, you haven't felt it as much because it's more secular and everything. People aren't as practicing Christian. But the whole Christianity has really marked the country. So it's been a quite conservative country in many ways. You know, we were like a peasant country for a long time until we right. took oil like in the 60s, 70s. So, so yeah, um, metal has definitely been a, a big thing here. I was a bit like of a, when it first came out, people were a bit shocked and stuff. But uh, yeah, between the nature and, and the roots of the country, I think it just has helped these kind of bands grow. Uh, right. Maybe also the, the, the seasonal changes and stuff. Like I know you mentioned Finland as well. The fact that it's quite an extreme place to live in terms of like, you know, really lack of lights in the winter. Up north, there's absolutely no light whatsoever for like months. There's absolutely no sunlight at all. That's got to play on your your nerves and your psyche and everything, right? Yeah, I think you have to be kind of a special person to be able to deal with that. But I, I mean, if you grow up with that, you can you can use anything. Yeah, I guess. Um, so anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to lead us down some uh, some other road, but been listening to Mono Nowhere, and actually, I went back and did some more. Even nowhere, still somewhere. Great stuff. How do you? I mean, obviously, there's a message behind it and or something you want to get your fans. But my question is, at the end of the day, what is it you want your fans or your listeners to walk away with after listening to a Sylvain record? That's a good question. Um, I always obviously my records are a personal diary for me, like an audio diary where I I put each record is kind of like a statement of of who I was and what I was trying to go, what I was going through at the moment uh, during the years that the, the record was created. So I'm putting myself into the record, my emotions, and I'm kind of handing it over to the audience. 
but I want the audience to be able to put their own story into the songs, of course. So what I want the audience to walk away with after having listening to any kind of Sylvain releases, I'm hoping that they can make them feel something. It doesn't have to be the same thing that I felt when I was uh, putting my emotions into the songs, but just if I can make people feel something out there, like touch them in whatever way, that is uh, what makes this whole thing worth doing, basically. That's the only thing I, I, I really want. So when I see people writing me or like I see comments online about people connecting to the song, whatever way, like Monono uh, Aware and Nowhere Still Somewhere, there was a lot of comments about how, how personal the songs felt. And I don't know, it's just really touching when you read comments or you have people send you messages and you really feel like they pick up on what you put into the songs. Right. This is cool is when people actually make their own kind of universe around it. Um, I just really want people to feel something uh anything basically when they listen okay they listen. do you ever feel and i guess this is going to be about the cover as well but do you ever feel it's too vulnerable or you can't go there i mean obviously you're pretty much naked on the cover of the album how vulnerable is all that to put that out there oh it's like balls out terrifying <laughs> <laughs> It's just like, it's kind of like you go like, here's my soul on a platter. And like, now you can do whatever you want with it. Right. So of course, it's um, it's something that is, is quite scary. I'm not going to lie. Like every time you get, get around to releasing a record, you have to share this stuff with the world. And it's always a bit like, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> right. But there's no, I don't really have a choice. This is what comes out of me. That's what comes out. I never really made music in the sense that I want to achieve that or that and that. It kind of just like, let it be a catharsis. Like for many other artists do this right. the same way. It kind of pours out of you and whatever comes out is that's what you have to deal with. And for me, it's always like very personal and the matters that I maybe don't like to talk about or that I can't really put into words or it sounds weird when you start talking about it, people think you're strange. So it's basically a way to, to channel all that. And it's obviously very... Um, yeah, it's just quite scary when you start sharing this with people. Do you ever feel you've gone either too far and you might alienate people? Or do you ever feel like, no, I can't go there because that's just too much? I try not to think like that. Because I think as long as the expression is pure and the emotions are pure and you've got something real to say that comes from a place of authenticity, it doesn't matter if it's too far, actually. I try not to filter myself in that way. I try to be a bit more spontaneous and kind of like go... Sometimes you sit back and you listen to a demo and you go... Ooh, this is going to bring up some questions and things you might not want to talk about. Right. But, you know, in general, I think uh, there is no such thing as too much because if it's something that's honest and pure, I think people are connected. Even if it's I, I think you're right. I think people respond to the honesty and the organic nature of things. And you, you can pick that up. And even though this is really heavy, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily black metal, but just extreme metal, you could still feel the emotion and the passion. And I think that's something a lot of people outside of the scene don't get, right? They just think it's, you know, you screaming and a bunch of noise, but that you can feel the emotion and the heartbreak and the gut wrenching. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like the people that are into the scene that kind of have the tools to read the music and to receive it, they definitely, I think they can definitely feel where it's coming from. Whereas, for example, maybe people that are into, let's say, more commercial music or it's not really their thing, it can be harder to, to feel. But I know because I have um, a friend that is uh, doing, how can I explain that? He maps out songs for this video game. It's like a rhythm game. Oh, okay. Supposed to stuff. It hits like different beats and stuff in the music. And uh, uh, that kind of game just generates people from all over the place in terms of musical tastes. Right. And I remember he did a couple of my songs and he had people play them. And uh, the general consensus is people can 
people seem to be able to tap into the emotion of it but a lot of people pick up on it as like oh that's so sad if they don't have necessarily the tools to they're not used to listening to this kind of stuff but i think uh yeah of course for some people it will still be like the heavier stuff will still be more like noise based because it's, you have like blast beats you have distortion guitars you have screams which is not for everyone and that's totally cool right i 100 agree um when you're writing and i don't know if this is uh really even applicable in this kind of situation but are you writing songs for how they're going to come across on the in the live setting or do you adapt the songs to the live setting and just write a song for the songs so it's funny you ask this because this is a discussion i've had with my drummer my live drummer dorian i love him to pieces but we're very different when it comes to this because i very much write in a way of i just want to express something and it's very spontaneous and of course I say that it's spontaneous. The first idea is usually spontaneous. And then there's a hell of a lot of hard work that goes into writing a song, doing all the layers, you know, trying to stretch. So many songs have like, you know, five different structures before the final one. Some of them just appear and you're like, ah, that works. But you know, yeah, it, it, I try to keep it spontaneous. I try to keep it more about what I'm trying to express and the story within the full record, rather than think about, ooh, how am I gonna do this on stage? Of course, during the process, sometimes I do have like uh, moments of, oh, this is going to be so great to play on stage or like, oh, what are we going to do with the tuning of this one or this kind of stuff? Right. So I don't necessarily think about that as I'm composing. I try to keep that as a separate entity. And then when we get to the part where we have to do this on stage, obviously we have to kind of adapt the songs a little bit. So it's more that way than me thinking about it while I'm composing. Or as my drummer would disagree with me and he's like, the stage is where music really exists. So you have to compose with that in mind. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, kind of. But, you know, that's just not how I'm wired. I, I, I asked that I asked that question a lot and I, I get both sides because I understand, you know, it is sort of a the especially the more theatrical bands, they have to kind of a breakdown will come here or whatever. But I also get that it's also very organic. And like you said, honest when it's coming spur of the moment and I'm not thinking about, you know, Madison Square Garden or or whatever venue you're playing. I wish we were playing. <laughs> I put it out. I put it out in the universe for you. So, I said, "What is your plan to take this live? Is it still a precarious thing, or is it something that's on the agenda?" Something that's on the agenda for sure. I mean, it's hard to say with the situation as it is now in the world. We can never say something for hundred percent sure at the moment. But yeah, definitely, we are supposed to be playing these songs uh, on stage live during this year, like in several different places around the world. So hoping that happens, uh, we're definitely really excited to play the new songs on stage because we have four records to choose from now. So it's, it's getting to the point where you can actually make the set list that you really uh, can like, uh, you know, make it for specific crowds and stuff. That's pretty cool when you have a certain amount of records to get into that kind of stuff. Too. Oh yeah, when you have a back catalog for sure. Was a lot of this album written during the pandemic? It was like half and half, I would say. Like I started out writing this record in 2019 and uh, there was like half of the songs were written or at least started during 2019 and they were kind of finalized in 2020. And half the songs were written during the pandemic, like right in the middle um, of the pandemic. Do you find the emotion of those two differs because of what you were bringing to the table post-COVID or whatever the hell you want to say? Post-COVID, mid-COVID. Right, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, who knows anymore? No, I think it definitely colored the record. I think every single person who was creating something, if it was music, if it was writing, if it was visual art, I think everyone has been colored by COVID because not only obviously was the global aspect uh, really overwhelming for everyone, but I think this pandemic really forced people to kind of, you know, get a mirror on themselves and their life and figure out what is actually important to me, what is going on. You know, like it, it was just like a huge awakening, global awakening and a personal awakening for everyone. So of course that colored the record, but 
in my case, it was uh, also very much related to like a personal situation that was going on for me in 2019 and 2020 that just happened to align with COVID and the whole like feeling of loss that I was feeling personally because of my situation happened to again align with the global situation and the, the global feeling of loss. So of course COVID, I think, uh, amplified the feelings that I were already here and they just like made it so much more real in a way. But I'm quite sure that this record um, would have sounded similar, if not exactly the same, I... even without the pandemic, just because it was coming from a place that was unrelated, but then somehow it just really related. Uh, it I... really fits with the, the, the vibe of the whole pandemic as well. So I know this is sort of not Sylvain related, but how do you see, I mean, I was just talking to somebody on the podcast just prior to you that I think with everybody being locked up and in their basements and like you said, focusing on themselves and, and what's important, there's going to be like an explosion or a renaissance of arts all the way across, not just in music, but in like painting and in literature, because people have been honing their craft for two years in their basements, right? Exactly. I think it's been a double-edged sword, actually, because uh, I know a lot of musicians, especially, that struggled to create uh, during the pandemic because one, things were just too overwhelming. It was too right. much. It's just too much going on that you actually get kind of paralyzed in it. I think there's this kind of like romanticization of like um, depression or like feeling down all the stuff and arts. And I'm not sure for me anyways, it doesn't really go together. When I feel really bad, I'm not able to create. I can maybe write lyrics for lyrics that I can't use in anything because they're so fucking dark. What did, was I writing? Like, Jesus. So, yeah, it doesn't really uh, help me much. But um, it's either that. I think people were, I know a lot of people that were struggling to create because of the overwhelming feeling. And also just the fact that if you're not actually living life, you're not actually going out there, you're not meeting people, you're not confronted with, like, yourself through being out in the world, you're not right. getting impulses from the outside world, it's sometimes hard to to write as well. Because we need to live, we need to experience to be able to have something to say. Even if things come from the inside, it usually comes from uh, having been faced with the outside world that makes you go within again. Some sort of so experience. It's uh, it's been, for some, yeah, exactly. It's been some uh, for some people a really productive time, a really like blossoming creative time, and for other people, I think it's been really hard and. Um, the fact that also there's an expectation there because like, oh, you had so much time. Why haven't you made like three albums? Right. That also could overwhelm artists uh, or, you know, like again, painters or writers or anything. So it's been like, I think it's been like half and half. It's been a great time to hone your craft and to, you know, lose yourself in your arts to get away from also what's going on on the outside right. world. At the same time, it's uh, can be hard to do exactly that because it's just too pressing and too heavy, too many questions, too many insecurities. I also think we're going to see or this whole thing levels the playing field a little bit, right? Because now you've had some of these local bands or underground bands have had two years to put together, you know, the best fucking album they can. And then, um, you know, that's going to be able to compete with a lot of other stuff that's out there because normally you kind of turn it around or you're doing it in your basement and you got to do it in a rush or there's no funds. But now that you've had the time, it's leveled it a lot, I think. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it has given also like the people that maybe didn't have the time before because they had, let's say, a regular job or right. something that just like kind of got in the way of their creative process. For those people, I think this time has been wonderful because they actually for once had a way to kind of lose themselves in their art and to go into it, like you said, to be able to 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 up the ante, so to speak, to make it a little bit more on point than it might have been without that time. For What's sure. next to you? What are you doing next? You got another single ready to go or how you... How are you playing out? What's next? Well, well, but no, I have another thing coming out very soon. <laughs> it's actually coming out in just a few weeks. It's 
I can't believe how fast time goes by. It's just like, stop, please. Yes. But yeah, in a few weeks uh, time, there'll be another, the last track released like before the album is out. Then the album was released in uh, March. 4th, right? Yeah, I think March 4th. Yeah, March 4th, absolutely. And then hopefully we, we can get our butts over to the US. That's the plan. And then from there, we have like many little tours and shows and festivals as a plan for the rest of this year and the beginning of next year as well. So fingers crossed that we can actually do this. And I hope you are right, because this is crazy. I mean, I imagine the energy is going to be insane because not only are you ready and raring to go, but people like me are just dying to, to see a show and be around, you know, there's a community and be around all those metal metalheads and friends and family because a lot of times they're closer than family that is so true like i think that also made a lot of people realize just how important it is the fact of going to concerts because going to concerts is not just seeing a band it's also energy exchange you know like like you said seeing your your family your extended family like seeing right. your friends and just feeling like you're part of something and something that's happening there and then you know it's just something that we haven't had much the last few years and I think people are very hungry for it. I mean, for me too, I've gone to like, what, one show in the last couple of years right. because of this situation. So it's been very strict here in Norway. So not much has been going on. And it's just, uh, it's kind of surreal. I just really hope for everyone's sake that things go back to not normal, because I don't think there's a normal after this, but some kind of no. new normal. <laughs> right. So yeah, fingers crossed once again. <laughs> fingers crossed once again. I hope I covered everything. Did I miss anything you want to go over? I think that was great like i don't think uh, i not that i can think of now anyway and i kind of meandered i'm sorry about that i just kind of usually have a partner with me we just go where we go that hey that's all good for me i thought it was great thank you so much i really appreciate it good luck with the record and hopefully we'll see you in the states sometime absolutely hopefully <laughs> pleasure talking to you take care take bye. care bruce bye, bye. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget, and we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.